0: This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is remembrance. Cecilia M. Peek, an associate professor of classics and ancient history at BYU when this devotional address was given, will give her remarks entitled, Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee.
1: When I received the call and invitation to give a devotional address, I accepted the invitation, got off the phone, and knew immediately what at least some part of what I would be talking about today. Um, And then I second-guessed this first impression that I had had and considered a whole variety of intellectually provoking things that I might talk about and and realized that those, uh, whatever interesting ideas I might have, they were not the thing that that the Lord was trying to inspire me to speak about. Maggie, who offered the prayer, just brought to me a note that had been left in my office by some students who took a freshman academy class from me a couple of years ago saying that they wished me well in the devotional and thanking me for the class that they had taken and making reference to a particular story that I had shared with them while I was their freshman academy teacher. And so I apologized to them because I'm going to be sharing that same story today. But in reading their notes, I was already moved to tears, and I said to my husband, This is not a good sign. I'm crying even before <laughs> I've started giving the talk. What I want to talk to you about today is Memory and more specifically the idea of us remembering the Lord and the Lord remembering us. I have been thinking a great deal about memory and remembering. Um, In part, I suppose this is due to the gradual deterioration of my own memory as I get older. Um, I sometimes find myself walking from one end of my house to the other, a very short walk, I might add, and finding that I cannot recall why I came to the new location, although I can recall that I had some very specific purpose in mind when I started out. You students, I have no doubt, think about memory every time you have the prospect of an examination looming over you, hoping and praying that you will be able to remember everything you have studied, and perhaps, with very good luck and divine intervention, even some things you did not. (laughs) On a much more serious note, although I recognize that you may not be able to imagine anything more serious than your looming tests— Memory has become especially important to me as I have in recent months witnessed the quite rapid and serious loss of the powers of recall in someone I love very much and who I assumed would always remember me, my mother. A change that began slowly a few years ago has so accelerated in recent months that on a trip to my parents just over a month ago, my own mother, upon first seeing me, did not recognize me. For the first two days of my visit, I needed to remind her repeatedly that I am her daughter. She did eventually recall me more regularly, but all the details of my life—that I am married, that I have children, that I live and work in Utah—remained completely unfamiliar to her. It was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life when my mother looked at me and did not know me. In Greek mythology, Nemosune was the personification of memory. She was the mother of the nine muses. The muses, in turn, were the goddesses who inspired literature and the arts. They were considered the sources of the knowledge that was contained in poetry, myth, and history, and that was, for many centuries, celebrated and disseminated orally. The types of work inspired by the muses were the artistic, the creative, Memory is, therefore, the grandmother, so to speak, of almost all creative endeavors and a critical component in the relationship between the creator and the created. In part, this was so because of the profound orality of the ancient world, where even when anything was preserved in writing, the average person did not have access to copies of that writing. The memorization of long passages of poetry, drama, and oratory was the presumed activity of educated artists and citizens— All literature—indeed, arguably, all language, knowledge, and skills—were preserved and transmitted orally. For the created work to have any value, it must be remembered. If it is not remembered, it cannot exist. My mother's lack of recognition cut right to the heart of my identity and my security. If she did not know me, who was I? There are many scriptures and ordinances in the Latter-day Saint Corpus that speak of remembering— The verb remember is used fifteen times in the first fourteen verses of Helaman chapter 5, six times in verse 6 alone. Verse 9 of that chapter is just one example. Quote, O remember, remember, my sons, the words which King Benjamin spake unto his people. Yea, remember, that there is no other way nor means whereby man can be saved Only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ who shall come, yea, remember that he cometh to redeem the world. The sacrament prayers that we hear repeated every Sunday commit us to always remember him. The injunctions to remember the Lord our God, to remember the covenants we have entered into, to remember and keep God's commandments are frequent and powerful. But what I want to talk with you about today is not the significance of us remembering the Lord— but the consoling reality of His remembering us. Now, it may seem obvious that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are aware of us, but as Isaiah notes, His people sometimes believe otherwise. Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Whether as a people or as a person, I believe we all have times in life when we feel forsaken and forgotten. But think of what the Lord says in Isaiah immediately after this citation of Zion's perception. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. But the Lord says in response to this, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold— I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. He has made us his own in the great atoning sacrifice of the garden and on the cross, and he cannot forget us. You are never forgotten or forsaken. Your Father in heaven and your Savior Jesus Christ know and remember you in a very personal and often very direct and directed way. Allow me to share with you an experience I had when I served more years ago than I care to recall as a full-time missionary in Germany. Just after my junior year of high school, I prepared to serve a full-time mission, waited anxiously, as people will, for their mission call, and I had a very strong feeling that I would be called Germany, and I was. And. When I found out what mission I was called to, it was the Germany-Frankfurt mission, I was immediately concerned to know whether the city of Cologne was within the boundaries of that mission. And at the time, the city of Cologne was. And I had no particular interest in that city. I just had a feeling about it. Um, I entered the mission field and served four months in Dusseldorf, which was a city quite close to Cologne, and then received a transfer letter from my mission president that I was going to be transferred to the city of Cologne. And I thought, this is it. You know, this is what I've been waiting for. There's something there for me to do. And so, for the next two months, my companion and I worked very diligently in order to find people to teach, and things were going relatively well. But I always had this sense that something critical was missing. We also had some very challenging experiences. So challenging that I reached a point, as I think many missionaries do, where you begin to doubt and wonder, you know, why you are doing this, and it's one of the most challenging but potentially also one of the most rewarding experiences and most transforming experiences of my life. Um, After I had been with my companion for two months, she was transferred away, and I received a new companion who had, in fact, been my companion during the two months that I spent in the missionary training center. Uh, She came to me and she brought with her the news that there was a family in the city she had just been serving in, a mother and a son who lived in the ward that she had been in, and their son and brother respectively lived in Cologne. He was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the mother had urged her to go by and visit this son. And it was actually outside of the area where we typically worked. We sort of divided the city into regions with the two sets of elders that served there as well, and it was rather out of our way, but she had a direct connection to this family, and so we decided that we would make this effort to, to go and visit this family. Most of the travel that we did on our missions was on bike. Um, she was recovering from a broken leg, and so she actually had a car for a, a few weeks. And so this made this rather lengthy, out-of-the-way trip more viable, and so several times we, uh, we drove over to their home to try and make contact with them. And every time we failed, we tried it various times a day, and we never found them at home. Uh, and so I announced to my companion, I said, you know, we've, we've made a genuine effort, but we're not going to, this is taking us out of our area and away from other work that we need to be doing, and we haven't been able to reach them, and she can call her son and say hello if she needs to. Uh, and so I said this to her one evening as we were preparing to go to bed, and the decision was made. The mail came quite early, and so we actually got the mail the next morning before leaving to set about our business for the day. And among the mail that we received was a note from a sister missionary who had been serving in Cologne some months before I arrived there. And and she outlined in this letter that she had met a woman on the streetcar who was interested in having a copy of the Book of Mormon, and she had completely forgotten about this, and would we please go by and visit this woman? I don't know the exact population of the city of Cologne, but those of you who have ever been in an older European city know this massive, tangled, warren of old streets that they tend to be, and it's certainly a city of over a million people. And she provided the address of the woman that she wanted us to go visit. And it was on a street called Rohnstrasse, Rune Street, which is the same street that this family we were to visit lived on, which struck me as quite an extraordinary coincidence. And I thought, oh, well, maybe we should have kept tracking on that street and we would have met this woman who wanted a copy of the Book of Mormon. And so we went back to that street— and went to this woman's apartment, and she had in fact moved to Israel, and so we were unable to give her a copy of the Book of Mormon. But since we were on the street again, and by now we were back on our bikes, my companion didn't have the car anymore, we thought, well, we'll make another attempt to meet the Moss family, which we did, and they were not home. And we decided we'd try one more time, which we did the following day. We did not reach them. And I said, okay, you know, Back to the regular business of our work and our lives. We needn't make that attempt again. And I said this to my companion. The next day, the mail came, and in the mail was a card that in those days, this was in the mid-'80s, there was still an East and a West Germany, and there were missionaries who served in West Berlin. And We received a referral card from some missionaries in Berlin who had met a gentleman at a street display who they said had expressed some interest in hearing more about the gospel. Would we please go and visit with him? And they provided his address, and his apartment was on Ronstrasse, the same street that we had been to. I mean, it's a big, complex city. You know, the chances of three referrals all being on the same street— Uh, was quite extraordinary. And so, as it happened, my companion and I were doing a split with the state missionaries that night, and so she, since she had the connection to the family, she said, well, why don't I follow up on this referral and make one more attempt to meet the Moss family? And so she did that and went to the home of the gentleman to whom we had been referred by the missionaries in Berlin. He was not happy to see her. Uh, He was not actually interested in having missionaries (laughs) visit him, and his wife chased uh, her and her temporary companion off in a rather hostile fashion. I think it involved a broom. Um, At any rate, uh, she did make one more attempt to meet this family. And they said, oh, we're so sorry. She explained that we had come by several times. and I mean, as far as I knew, our task was simply to come by and say, your mom says hi, which I thought, for heaven's sake, the woman can call him. But, you know, clearly I'm a little obtuse and needed some guidance in this regard. So we were continually sent back to the street. Um, And so my companion actually made an appointment with this family to come back at another time and have us visit them. And this went on for weeks, incidentally, and after these many weeks, we finally were prepared to go and visit them. And the evening came that we had scheduled to visit with them, and I didn't want to go. I mean, I really didn't want to go. We had, uh, there was a ward party going on that really sounded fun. (laughs) Lots of food, chocolate probably. Um... And so I was sort of hesitant, like, well, they haven't been there. Maybe we could just call and delay. And I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Try to remember, please, why you're a missionary. And so, so we got on the bikes, drove you know, quite some distance across town, and went to meet this family. Um, the moment we walked in the door and the husband greeted me, I had an overwhelming sensation, such as I never experienced before and have not experienced with anyone since, no offense to my husband in this regard, Um, the feeling that I was encountering someone that I already knew very well and was intimately associated with. We shook hands, and we sat and visited with them for about half an hour, and through the entire visit and immediately after leaving, I felt like I had found that critical missing piece that this family, and particularly the husband, was the reason I had come on my mission and to this city. We began then, for a number of weeks, a wonderful experience, but a very irregular, almost, experience of teaching them. Um, We had a certain plan that we tended to follow when we were meeting with people and talking to them about the gospel, and things never went according to plan with this family, but they went far better in many, many ways than we could have imagined. We— invited them to church on a number of occasions they hadn't come yet and at the end of every meeting we would invite a member of or we were hoping that that he would at some time particularly offer a prayer and he would always call on one of us to pray my companion or myself or his wife or his son but he never prayed himself we finally invited them to church well we had repeatedly they finally agreed to come to church and we gave them close directions we offered to come and pick them up they said no we'll meet you there and we arrived and They never showed up, which is, for anyone who has served a full-time mission, will know what a devastating disappointment that can be. Uh, We tried to reach them after the church meeting ended and were unable to do so for the next couple of days. We were in the habit of always kind of having a standing appointment with them on Tuesday evenings, and so Tuesday came around, and as it happened, at the advice of our mission president, we sort of transferred our preparation day so that rather than staying home in the morning and doing laundry and writing letters, uh, we had done missionary work most of the day and were doing our laundry and writing letters in the evening in preparation for leaving the next morning for a conference of all the sister missionaries at the mission home in Frankfurt. So we happened to be home uh, slightly after dinner time in the evening, which was rarely the case, and the phone rang. But I should add that the day after we finally made contact with this family, my companion who had been the connection to this family was transferred out of the city, and I got a new companion. And so I had this very new companion who'd only been out in the mission field for a matter of weeks and who didn't speak much German yet. And the phone rang, and it was Klaus Moss, the, the husband of this family. And... He wondered why we had not come to their house, and I explained our unusual schedule this week and that we had tried to reach them, and he said, Oh, we thought you were mad at us for not coming to church. And I said, Well, we were very sorry not to see you there, but no, we weren't angry. And there had been a death in his wife's extended family, and they had been out of town, and we spoke briefly about that. And then there was a pause in the conversation, and he said to me, My maiden name was Mahoney he said sister Mahoney and then in German this was in German he said I know you and he said do you know what I mean and I said yes I do he said the first time you came after you left I turned to my wife and said I know her how can I know her she's reports that she's never been to Germany before she's certainly never been here before And I don't actually recognize her, but I have the overwhelming feeling that I know her. And I said, I do understand. I know you, too. So we spoke briefly about the premortal existence and my conviction that he and I may very well have known each other there and made some kind of covenant, commitment, agreement together that we would, one of us, share the gospel with the other someday— and then he said, I'm afraid to read the Book of Mormon. And I said, Why? And he said to me, Because every time I take it into my hand, it burns like a fire. And he said, Can we have a prayer? And I said, Yes, expecting that he would ask me to offer the prayer. And then my companion thought I was a bit strange standing there with my eyes closed holding <laughs> the phone. But he said, I would like to pray. And he said, this is the first time I've prayed. And so he offered a prayer on the phone, asking for the courage to do what was right, whatever that may be. The next morning, my companion and I left for the sisters' conference, the meeting of the sister missionaries. And one of the activities that the sister missionaries participated in on that day was to attend two separate kind of workshops, mini-lessons, And you could choose—there was one that you could choose between a number of things, but every sister missionary was asked to attend, in either the first or the second hour of these lessons, a presentation that was being given by the wife of Elder Derek Cuthbert, who was in the area presidency at the time. And Sister Cuthbert was giving a presentation on teaching by the Spirit. For the first hour, we attended another workshop, and then in the second hour, my companion and I attended Sister Cuthbert's presentation on teaching by the Spirit. Sister Cuthbert began her talk, introduced her subject, and then stopped. And she said, I would not be a very good advocate of teaching by the Spirit if I did not now heed the promptings of that Spirit and do what it's telling me to do. So instead of what I have prepared, she said, I want to instead tell you the story of my family's conversion to the gospel. And then she began to share with us the story of her family's conversion in England. And specifically— She told about one particular missionary and their experience with him and his teaching them. I cannot remember anymore virtually any of the details of what Sister Cuthbert said, but one of the things she did say was, she said, This will not be true for all of you, but for some of you it is the case that you were called to this mission at this time to teach some particular person or family that you had a covenant with this person or this family, and you must find the person you were called to teach. I felt as if she were speaking directly to me. And then she said this. She said, Elder Cuthbert had a hard time accepting the Book of Mormon. And then she looked directly at me and she said, I did not even need to read it to know that it was true, because every time I took it into my hand— It burned like a fire. Sister Cuthbert cannot have known that what she said was a direct translation of what Klaus had said on the phone the previous evening. She concluded her presentation, and I approached her to thank her, and she knew that For whatever other reason, she may have been giving the presentation she was giving, that it was in part for me. And we just said nothing. We just gripped each other's hands and cried. The next day, we returned to Cologne, met several more times with the Moss family, and invited them to be baptized. They agreed. At their baptism, Klaus spoke himself— And one of the things he shared was his fear of reading the Book of Mormon and of making a commitment. And he said that he prayed about this fear, and the answer that he received was a powerful reminder of the Savior's atoning sacrifice and the recognition that if he could, in spite of all, give that for us, that surely he could overcome his fears to follow him. The experience that I had as a missionary taught me many things. It confirmed in my mind the rightness of the work that we were doing, the truthfulness of the gospel. But beyond that, what I knew in that moment when Sister Cuthbert looked at me and quoted Klaus, and what I have known absolutely since, is that Heavenly Father knows me personally and will never forget me. He knows you too. The Creator actively remembers His creation. Closely linked to His remembrance of us is the loving attention associated with it. He not only remembers, He cares deeply about where you are, what you are doing, who you are becoming, what you are feeling. He is interested and involved in your life. As Isaiah reminds us, In a comparison as moving and dramatic as that of the mother who may forget her child while the Lord can never forget his own, the Lord says, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Extending this mercy, doing all he can— to assure our safe return to the Father who knows us and whom we will know when we see him again, is his most important work. I testify to you that you are his most important work, that he knows you by name individually, and that he will never forget you. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half-hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Remembrance. Cecilia M. Peak gave her talk entitled, Yea, They May Forget, Yet I Will Not Forget Thee. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps.